Does balance come through compromise, or is it possible to be balanced without jeopardizing our convictions? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast from the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas, with our pastor and Bible teacher, Bishop Gregory Riggin. Thank you to everyone who is listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all of those who tune in. With Jesus having set the correct weight on one side of the scale, all of our words and deeds add something to our side of the scale, be it negative or positive. John's words ring true when he makes a simple statement of removing oneself to make room for the Christ. John 3 and 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. God is not fair. He is just, bringing balance to judgment and love. As Job stated in chapter 31, verse 6, Let me be weighed in an even balance, that God may know mine integrity. God's blessing and understanding do not necessarily mean his approval. Without giving his approval, God used Samson. It wasn't until the end of his life that Samson found balance and received God's approval. Living a balanced life helps us receive the approval of God. Listen in as Bishop Riggin helps us understand how a balanced walk with God is achieved. You were talking about a moment ago how God chose the Pharisee of Pharisees. He chose the Essenes of the Essenes. Is that the wrong word? I think that's actually a plural word. but yeah. Oh, how do you say it again? It was an Essene. So the Essene of the Essenes. But then Jesus took the Hasidic Jews, the Pharisees, and said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, because you have avoided the weightier matter. So you are heavy-handed in these other areas, but you are avoiding some of the weightier. And this kind of gets back to what Brother Waldrop was talking about in his deal, where balance does not mean bringing the amount of emphasis on holiness and righteousness and the submission to God's word down. It's elevating, speaking the truth in love. It's both truth and love, 100% of both. Yes. Because Jesus said, in Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to have to leave the other undone. You have to do both. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew 23, verse 2, Jesus speaking here, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees, Sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe wow. and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Hmm. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because what they're saying is right. What they're saying is right. Hmm. So he never condemned their righteousness. When people talk about, oh, you're just a Pharisee. He never condemned their righteousness. Right. He condemned their hypocrisy. Yep. And he called them. And he yep. called them hypocrites. Yep. <laughs> because they said it. But they were the ones who would say, you can't curse your mom and dad. But if you don't want to bless them, you just take what you should be giving them and go give it to God instead. And that way, mom and dad don't get it. But you're okay. And that's the danger. We can do the same thing yes. with apostolic doctrine, with what we do. We can overcorrect. And yes. then it makes it unlivable. And I've seen people do that. I've seen apostolics. This is why I've said, and a lot of people don't like this 
phrase, but I've said, I strive for balance. Absolutely. I want balance because I've seen far too much of people falling in both ditches. There are those who just want to throw everything out, but then there are the others who want to measure every little thing. And if you don't agree with every standard they have, you're a liberal. They strain out a gnat one direction, and then they swallow the camel. Yes. Balance doesn't mean you diminish the value of everything else so that you can, I guess, be agreeable to everything. Right. You're you're actually placing emphasis on everything in the right manner. It's not like you're discrediting holiness or anything of that nature because it's abrasive or seen as abrasive. And that's the way some people take the term balance and even moderation. Some people look at moderation as being a terrible thing where the apostle said, let your moderation be known to all men. Obviously he didn't think it was a bad thing, but where it becomes a bad thing is when you moderate standards of holiness And by that, I mean you try to bring them down. When I talk about being moderate, I'm not talking about trying to lower standards. No. I'm just talking about true balance. The Apostle Paul said, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Perfect holiness has to involve both because the two ditches are, well, it's just your spirit. It doesn't matter how you look. You just keep your spirit right. And the other ditch says, you got to look this way. And then they let people be gossips. They're full of bitterness. They're full of hatred. Both of those are ditches we have to stay out of. Perfect holiness means you cleanse yourself of both. You keep your spirit right, but you keep the outside right. But you don't keep the outside right if you've got an arrogant attitude that puts you above everybody else. The inside's not right. If you're filled with pride and arrogance, nobody's as holy as I am. This whole concept, the phrase, holier than thou, that comes from the Bible. Did you know that? did not recognize that. It is in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 65 and verse 5. Now, if you back up to verse 2, I've spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. All right, so he starts describing these rebellious people in verse 2. We get down to verse 5, and he says, which say, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. That's where we got that phrase. It's biblical terminology, and God said these are rebellious people. You don't think of it that way. Right. You were talking about the analogy of both ditches. So in other words, in the middle of the road, don't overcorrect one way or the other. Another analogy I thought of was the balance scale. The old-fashioned balance scale is you have a weight on one side, and then you have to place a commensurate amount of weight on the opposite scale. So if you have the two ditches, well, you have legalism versus love, or you have Righteousness or holiness or truth versus love is probably the better way. But speaking the truth in love, whatever apostle was that said that? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Book of Ephesians. Speaking the truth in love. There you go. You have to have truth on one side, love on the other, and you have to put enough love or enough truth. You can't have too much love. You can't cover everything, but you can't have more truth than love. You have to have an equal amount of love and truth. Yes. Which gets back to the statement that my pastor really drilled in me. He said, if I'm going to hell, tell me I'm going to hell, but don't laugh about it. Right. Don't mock me on my journey. Reach for me in love. Reach for me with tears. Let me know. I hate to say it, but I've been in services where men made holiness a hateful thing. And hatefulness is not holiness. No, that's not a holy And compassion is not compromise. No. But that's the way some people classify things. 
things. That the only way you can be holy is to be hateful. And anybody that's compassionate is a compromiser. But I don't see it that way. I believe that you can be a compassionate conservative. Now, I know George W. Bush kind of coined that phrase, and I'm certainly not going to get into politics. And we can argue whether he was really a compassionate conservative or what he was. Or bleeding heart liberal. <laughs> we, we can we can argue that point. But I would like to just adopt that phrase and make it something positive. Because I believe that's really what's pleasing to God. I think that is where Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says to them, you have omitted the weightier matters. He didn't condemn the righteousness that they had. He condemned their hateful attitudes and their hypocrisy. They were ready to stone a woman in adultery. And if you're just going to look at the law, that's what she deserved. Well, Jesus knew that she deserved it, but he had compassion. This kind of brings up another thing here. God is not fair, and I'm glad he's not fair. Right. Amen. Because if he was fair, every one of us would go to hell. Yeah. Because that's what we deserve. Absolutely. He is just, but he's not fair. He's compassionate. Fairness demands equal punishment that fits the crime. That's fair. Right. But he can look at a woman caught in the act and say, okay, she deserves death. Let him that's without sin start this process. And by saying that, he's saying every one of you have done something at some point. In fact, she's caught in the act. In the act. Where's the man? I was getting ready to bring right. this up. <laughs> Why is it he getting stoned right alongside her? This is an example of they're overcorrecting. They find the woman. This is an unbalanced judgment. Absolutely. And it's very possible the man was right there in the crowd. Right. Sure. First of all, they didn't really want to stone her. They knew they didn't have the authority to stone her. Had they done it, the Romans mm. would have come down on them for murder. So they didn't have the authority. They were just trying to catch Jesus. Because what they wanted was they wanted him to say, oh, no, don't kill her. They knew he was not going to order her death. But they wanted him to say it so that they could accuse him of disputing the law, of denying the law of Moses. Right. They wanted it on record that he said, no, you don't have to do what Moses said. That's what they were hoping for. Or if he did say, Yes, she has to die. Then they take him to the Romans. Right. This man ordered her death, and they saw it as a win-win. But you just can't outsmart God. <laughs> they tried it every way they it knew sure how. So sure did. But they never were able to outsmart him. Right. Well, he knew. There's scripture that says... You know, Jesus knowing the intent, oh, knowing yeah. their knowing thoughts. The intent. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He knew what they were trying he was to do. One step ahead every time. <laughs> every time. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. This is God in flesh. And they think they're going to outsmart him. Right. But it's because they didn't realize this was God in flesh. Had he been just a man, he probably would have been caught at some point in some trap. But this is not a human mind they're dealing with. Right. And that's why he could say, let him that's without sin cast the first stone. He didn't deny the law of Moses, but he didn't really order her death either. Right. Yeah, he balanced the scale. And sorry, I keep going back to this analogy, but it's so pointed here. God was there, and he could have cast the stone, but he didn't. He chose not to. Exactly right. He was the only one who could have cast a stone. 
And that's the one argument that many people use of this very same passage about judgment, but they don't accept the fact that, like Brother Hilton just said, God was there to judge. He could have, but he chose not to. And they also forget what he said to her, because he didn't just say, let her go. Right. He said, go and sin no more. Right. Stop this. You got out of it this time. Don't do it again. They missed that point conveniently. So in a sense, he did judge her because he gave leniency to the sentence. Yeah, he was the judge and he could pronounce the sentence. Exactly right. And that's, that's a good way of saying it. He did give leniency under qualifications. Right. I'm not going to condemn you. Right. Just don't do it again. It's amazing. He just had that way of doing it. But yes, he knew how to put everything into the proper scales and... That whole idea of balance is what God is all about. Mm-hmm. It really is. They want to paint this picture of God is love. God is love, and he is love. There's no question he is love. The Bible says that he's love. But look, if he was only love, and that's all he was, there'd be no need for redemption. Right. He'd just save us. He'd just take us all to heaven. Right. Can I ask you a question on this balance and scales that's come up several times? So when... We were talking earlier about this. It seems like the scale, God has set the standard for us on what is that weight, that just weight that we need to equate to. Am I visualizing this incorrectly in thinking that there is a scale and there's an empty spot on one side and that's where I contribute? I don't contribute to the other side. God has set the standard. And for me to be balanced is for me to contribute to my side just like you taught a while back about in Second Peter, adding all of these things together, and I think even Brother Waldrop mentioned it the other night. Yes. It's not until I balance out my side that I'm truly balanced, and how I know that is it truly begins to level out. Right. And that's what balance is. It's not adding and taking away from either side to make it equate in balance. It's me contributing to the whole of my side and making it level out, and it has to abide by the Word of God. Yeah, that's so good. That's exactly right. God's the one who sets the standard on holiness, so we can't adjust that. Right. Be holy, for I am I'm holy. holy. Preach, Brother Goff. So present your bodies yes. a living sacrifice, oh, yeah. holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Yeah. So that whole idea of reasonable service, to me, explains the balance you're talking about Why is it a reasonable service? Because that's what balances out his side. My, my. Until we have presented ourselves as a sacrifice. That means our will, our dreams, our plans, our life, our lifestyle. Everything about us has to be sacrificed every day. That's the only way to balance these scales. But everything we do contributes to that weight. Yes. The weight of sin, everything has a consequence. Absolutely. This negative and positive contribution to this Mm -hmm. that makes it all balance out. Absolutely right. Ephesians 4 and 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure Measure of the the stature stature of of the the fullness fullness of of Christ. Yes. We got a long way to go. (laughs) To be like Jesus. That's right. That's what we've got to do. 
And that's why Paul said, comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. Because, Brother Goff, you're not on the other side of my scale. No. Brother Hilton, you're not on the other side of my scale. So I can't compare myself with you because if I try to balance out where you are, I'm going to be just as good as they are. I'm going to do just what they're doing. That doesn't balance my scale. Right. God's on the other side of the scale. Right. This kind of ties back to what my original question was, because I, I read ahead in verse 14, he goes, that we henceforth be no more children. He compares us to children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And this is an ongoing sentence from the previous verse. Right. Apostle Paul is calling us, and now I found the verse that I was trying to find earlier, which is speaking the truth in love, but Paul is calling the church, us, as members of the church, the Ephesian church specifically, to grow up, to be mature, to develop, to put on the weight that's necessary to compare with God, to compare with Christ. Right. In fact, he says to us, put on Christ. Yes, exactly. That that is the those are this those are the weights to put on. But putting behind us these childlike things which are argumentation around doctrine, the cunning craftiness. There's another scripture that and I was teaching a Bible study recently about the importance of God's word and another passage of scripture it's in Timothy it's either 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 2:15 where it says study to show thyself approved in God. Scripture before that says don't strive about words to right. know profit. Don't just argue for the sake of arguing. Use the eternal word of God to put on those necessary qualities, those necessary characteristics, put on Christ so that way you can balance out the scale. And while we're putting on these weights, we lay aside the weights that beset us. Yes. There are some things that will not balance the scale. They will beset us, and those things we have to lay aside. And again, that's where this whole idea of moderation, balance, comes into play. Bishop Johnson said it this way, you got to learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And that's putting it as simply as I know how to put it. Right. If you love what God loves, then you'll do those things. Right. You'll seek after those things. You'll try to accomplish those things. If you hate what God hates, you'll stay away from those things. And that's what we've got to learn to do. That's why this whole thing, this modern day Christianity that says live any way you want to. This is the age of grace. God doesn't care how you live. You're just going to be saved. That is so far from any biblical concept that can be found anywhere in the Word of God. God's never been that way. He's never been that way. Right. He was not that way in the Old Testament. He was not that way in the New Testament. As we pointed out earlier, the very men that he esteemed the highest were very rigid men. Right. If you want to use that, that term. These men were very strict. Disciplined. Disciplined. And those are the men that Jesus seemed to show favor to. 
So this idea and concept that just live like you want to, God understands, God, well, yes, he understands, but that doesn't mean he approves. Right. You know, I understand, I hope this doesn't get taken out of context, but I understand why teenagers fornicate, but I don't approve. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand it. But understanding and approval are not the same thing. And so to say, well, God understands. Yes, he does. But he doesn't approve. And we need God's approval, not just God's understanding. In fact, we need God's approval, not just God's blessing. And that's another subject for another day, I guess. But there's a big difference and this is something that a lot of apostolics have never learned because they point to God's blessing on someone and think that means God's approval. But God's blessing on them does not necessarily mean his approval. In fact, by that very same token, God using someone does not necessarily amount to God's approval. We see that in the life of Samson. Right. God used Samson, repeatedly used Samson. But please tell me of a time God ever said he approved of Samson, except in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, where it says that these all died in faith. See, Samson spent his life pleasing his own flesh. But in the end, Samson did something he was not normally given to do. When he asked that boy to lead him to the pillars of that temple, he prayed a prayer. I don't read where he prayed before he went out and killed right. a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Right. He didn't pray. God just used him, tied the fox's tails together. Whatever he did, he never asked God to help him in any of that. Right. David gave more of a prayer than Samson ever did as a shepherd boy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Slinging a stone, he mentions and yeah. talks about it. I come in the name of the Lord, right. but not Samson. No. And even Samson, you know, he tells Delilah, you shave off the locks of my head and I'll be like other men. He didn't believe that. Right. He did not believe it because he shook himself and went out as at other times. You cannot convince me he didn't know his hair had been cut. Right. He woke up from that nap and he knew full well his hair was gone. But he shook himself as at other times and went out thinking that once again, God's just going to be there like he always had. He did not believe he would be as other men. Hmm. If he believed it, he would have never tried to take on the Philistines in that last battle. If he would have really believed he was like other men, he would have hightailed it out of there. He'd right. have been running from them. But he didn't. He just believed that I'm going to go out and whip him like I have every other time. And he didn't. And they plucked his eyes out and made him grind like an animal for all those years. But the one thing that did happen to Samson is that during that time, somewhere, he finally got his head screwed on straight. And he realized, if I'm going to accomplish anything, God's going to have to help me. And he prayed, God, please, let me be avenged in my eyes. Please help me this oh, time. And that's why the author of Hebrews could say he was among those that died in faith. He didn't live in faith, but he did die in faith. He finally got to that point where he was fulfilling his Nazarite vow. 
I mean, the Nazarite vow was very, as I understand it, I don't have a lot of insight into this, but it was very stringent rules and regulations on the way that you behave as Absolutely. a Nazarite. I don't know what the details of those are, but I do understand that this kind of alludes back to what you're saying earlier about the men that Jesus chose whether it was John or Paul, these were all rigid men was the term that you you used. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 38, and Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. The disciples had come to him and said, Jesus, will you let us sit with you on the right hand whenever we go to glory? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What do you think Jesus was talking about when he answered them directly with that? It seems to me like there's some something that these men had not yet achieved that he was looking for. I saw a correlation here by the fact that Jesus said, Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, it's not going to be easy. There are requirements here. That's why I saw the relation. Well, yeah, I think the cup that he drank, and this is where um, a lot of men would probably disagree with me. But when Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, I don't believe that he was trying to escape death. A lot of people believe that he was praying in the garden that he would not have to die. I don't believe that. He had already prophesied his death. He had already spoken of his death. He already knew what was coming as far as death. I don't believe he was agonizing with the spirit to let him find some other way besides dying. I just don't believe that. When you look at the apostle Paul, history says he ran to the chopping block. Are you going to tell me that Paul ran to be put to death, but Jesus agonized all night saying, please don't let me die? I don't believe that. Right. When Peter was going to be crucified, according to history, if history's correct, Peter didn't try to get out of it. He just said, I'm not worthy to die the way my Lord did. Hang me upside down. But he's not agonizing over whether he's going to die or not. Even when he's in prison and they've just put James to death and he knows the next morning they're going to put, he's not spending the night agonizing in prayer, don't let me die. Right. So I do not believe the cup Jesus was praying about was death. I think you've got to go back to the Old Testament and look at the cup of God's wrath. It's a term that's used by Old Testament prophets. Jesus, you understand, took our place. He did not sin, but the Bible says he became sin for us. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scapegoat. What happened to the scapegoat? He was let go. He was freed. Well, but what happened before he was sent out into the wilderness? The elders came, laid their hands on him, and pronounced the sins of Israel upon the scapegoat. The scapegoat then bore their sins. Jesus was our scapegoat. The sins of the world were going to be pronounced upon him, but he had never sinned. Mm -hmm. He had to bear our sin and therefore feel what every sinner feels, which is part of why he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
He felt what every sinner feels who is separated from God by their sin. This cup was the feeling of everything that happened at Calvary. He experienced the wrath of God. Not that God was angry with him. He was God in the flesh. But you understand what I'm saying? He had to experience what a sinner would experience. He had to die as a sinner would die. He had to feel that. And that cup of punishment, of wrath, of separation, of isolation, that cup is what he did not want to drink because he had lived his life purely. That's what I believe he spent the night agonizing over. And that baptism wherewith he was baptized, to me, again, it's speaking, you've got to think in terms of the Jewish mindset. And the whole cleansing, the baptism was a cleansing, a purification. I'm going to be purified. But you see, his baptism on the cross, now he'd been baptized in water, But he told them that they were going to bear a baptism that he would have to bear. That wasn't a water baptism. This was a baptism of purification by death, Mm. of him becoming the scapegoat, of him becoming the lamb. Now, they weren't going to become the lamb to die for other men's sins or even die for their own sins. But let's face it, when they died, why did they die? They died because of the gospel, because of the message they preached. They were dying because of who they were. And when they're asking, we want to sit with you in your kingdom, he says, look, the only way this kingdom is coming to me is because of the cup I'm going to drink and the baptism I'm going to have to be immersed with. I'm going to be immersed in pain and suffering, and you're going to have to be immersed with that as well. Now, they didn't understand that, and they didn't know that. They had no clue what he meant at that time. Mm -hmm. But he did assure them, yes, you will. It is going to happen. But, he said, these positions in the kingdom, that's something determined by my father, speaking as a man. Mm -hmm. And that whole conversation, he's speaking as a man, not as God. Right, because his manhood was what had to bear the cup. Absolutely. And yet, see, he overcame sin. This is what some people, especially oneness apostolics, miss. He didn't overcome sin as God. Right. He overcame sin in the flesh. He overcame temptation, not by tapping into divine supernatural ability, but by denying his flesh what it wanted. Discipline. Rigid. Discipline. And that's what we have to do. And that's what they were going to have to do. Right. That baptism, that cup. So all of this conversation, he's speaking as a man, and that's why he ends it by saying, But when it comes to giving these positions in the kingdom, my father's going to have to do that. That's not something I can do as a man, something that's going to be done by the will of the spirit. And of course, we know they're not given thrones in the kingdom, but they are given a very special place in that their names are written on the foundations. So that's what he's talking about there. This has been another wonderful episode of Face the Truth. We invite you to join us next week as Bishop Riggin walks us through his views on the end times. You don't want to miss this next episode. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer 
at OlathaTruth.com. That's prayer at OlathaTruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.